move into the message portion this morning. Um, we only have a few minutes left. I was telling my family, you know, it might be a miracle. My mess, you know, the message might be like shorter than half an hour. Well, it's definitely going to be this morning. Uh, we are going to make this a two-part thing, but we wanted to talk about this topic of why do bad things happen to good people. And uh, last week we shared this, uh, the, the verse where Jesus was talking with his disciples in John 16. It's in John 16, 1. He simply um, warned his disciples about things, bad things that were going to happen to them. And he says, the reason I'm telling you these things is so that you don't abandon your faith, so that you don't drift from your trust in God, because bad things have a way of doing that to us. Uh, and that was the question then, as we chat about that, it was a question that came in at the end of the service was why, why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a question that gets asked a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. You know, there's the things of why does God allow it? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? How can God be good if that's happening? And maybe you've heard lots of answers. Oh, you know, God's mysterious and, you know, God's teaching you a lesson or whatever it may be. I've heard tons of answers to that question as well. But maybe for you, You've been asked that question as a Jesus follower. and like, I don't know how to answer that. Or maybe for you, you're asking that question on the inside. You know, as you see, um, you know, the, the pain and suffering going on around us, that it, it, makes, it, it makes, you, makes you wonder. And so why do we talk about it? Simply for, for that reason, that it can be a hindrance to uh, people choosing to follow Christ. It's hard to believe that, it, that there's good news if, if the God that's giving it isn't good. Uh, and that can be a hindrance for you. Maybe that's been your thing. You're like, I, I don't know if I want this Jesus stuff because I, I just can't reconcile. There's a, there's a good God when there's bad things happening to good people. And the other thing is maybe as a Jesus follower, there's some doubt running around in your brain as to that same question. You know, how, how is it possible? How is it possible that these bad things are happening? And, and maybe for you, you've, you've, that's what made you leave faith to begin with. And someone's told you, hey, come watch this message. And, and now you're watching, you're wondering, yeah, that's the reason why I kind of gave up on my childhood, my childhood faith. And so this morning, you know, we're all aware that there's pain and suffering in the world. You just scroll down the news feed, man, and you see it. Maybe it's not just on Google News. It's like, it's, it's not just in the world, it's in your world. It's in your story. You know, as I think of Katie's story and you just hear, so there's things that, that the, the bad news that happens, there's bad things that, that happen right in your own world and in your own story. And I know this morning, as we t- talk about this, uh, Hey, we understand that there's the pain that feels close to home. We don't want to minimize that at all, but want to take a look at what it, um, the, 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 the parts of that, that uh, so often bring up that question, God, if you cared or God, if you're good, well, then how come this is happening? And so my plan this morning in this next couple of minutes isn't to give you the answer, isn't to say, hey, here's the flat out answer of it, but rather, rather to um, encourage you to think about it, to think about um, what the, what, uh, what's really going on to have some rational thought towards it. Maybe you're here this morning. You're kind of afraid. Like, I don't, I don't like asking that question. Cause I'm not really, you know, I just, I don't think that my, you know, the, the God that I have grew up to believe in is going to hold up to these questions. You know, the God that doesn't let bad things happen to good people. I, I just don't know if that's going to, if, if he's, if I can still believe in that God. And I would encourage you not to, because that God doesn't exist. They're, the God of the Bible is not a God who doesn't, you know, allow bad things to happen to good people. But, and that answer, we might not like that answer to begin with, but if you'll listen through, I believe that you'll like that answer a whole lot more at the end than maybe uh, at this moment. So let's just jump right in. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? 
It's a great question, but it's a question that assumes some things. Like we said, it assumes there's evil in the world, which we would all agree. It assumes that, that there's good people in the world, which we're going to talk about today. And it assumes that God is directly connected with the evil and the pain and suffering in the world. It's what, he's the one. There's, there's a, he's directly connected. And so if, if, if he's connected to the pain, then somehow he must be bad. And so this morning, I want to look at the good people side. Next week, we'll look at the bad God side of it. And uh, give you some things to think about, some things to think about. You know, as I was listening to a message by Andy Stanley a number of weeks ago, I think, that's, I think the sermon thing is called messy, the messy middle. But he makes a quote in that message that I think is pertinent for us this morning. And it's this, he says to, to something to this degree, there's a brutal fact or a brutal truth that we as Christians cannot ignore. There's a brutal fact or a brutal truth that we cannot ignore. And this is it that there is a direct connection, not between God and pain and suffering, but there is a a direct connection between sin and pain and suffering and illness and death. See, we tend to think that there's good people in the world. And when we look at our face in the mirror, we like to think that we're one of them. At least I do. I don't know about you. You, you, Nobody wants to go and say, "You you know, I'm pretty much sure I'm the worst person on the planet. There's 7 billion people and I'm the worst. We, we don't do that. We actually subconsciously compare ourselves with other people. We do it with everything, lots of stuff. Maybe for you, it's your weight, or maybe for you, it's, you know, how much money someone else has or the vehicle they drive, or it's just those things. We just subconsciously compare. It's, a, it's actually a trap. It's a trap we set for ourselves and then we jump right into it. And then we'll set it again and we'll jump right into it. But, and, and, and oftentimes when we set these traps, we'll feel negative feelings about ourselves. But sometimes we're going to do the opposite. We'll compare ourselves so that we feel better than, uh, than we, about ourselves. But, you know, we don't obviously broadcast that because that's not a good trait, right? We're not saying, hey, I, I feel better about myself because I compare myself to others and you guys suck and I'm awesome, right? Like we just, that's not something that we're proud of sharing. And yet so often we do it. I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen somebody, you looked at their life and was like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not them. You know, it's like, you wouldn't say it out loud, but it's that thing on the inside. You know, you're like, man, yeah, yeah, I drink too much, but I hang out with people who drink way more than me. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they are like complete basket cases. Or you make me, yeah, I, I spend too much, but man, I'm not as bad as those people over there. They're like bankruptcy, a borderline bankruptcy, right? Or man, yeah, I know our marriage has a few bumps and whatever, but pff, at least we're not like that couple down the road. I mean, they throw plates at each other. They're like, they're, they are a train wreck. Or maybe it's as simple as when you're driving, you drive down the road and you're going down, you know, 55 and all of a sudden this car blows by and it looks like idiot, you know, like, so that guy's flying by at 120 and, and then you look down at your speedometer, you're like, oh, I'm only doing hundred, which is still 20 over, but you feel better about that because you're not that idiot. And I don't know about you, but have you ever had it where, where, uh, as you're driving down the road, just a few minutes later, you see that guy got pulled over. And what do you do as you drive by? You smirk or you, maybe you wave or maybe that's just me. But you know, that, that thought of, huh, you know, I, I, at least I'm not that guy. And we feel better about ourselves as, as a result. But, you know, the thing is, I wonder if we ever consider the opposite. Do you ever consider that it's possible that other people are using you to feel better about themselves? That they're looking and saying, look at that. Look at that Vanduweer. At least I'm not like him. I wondered about that. You know, I think we all kind of want to be in that place where we're, where we're, we're not the worst. That there's others that, you know, I, maybe for you, like, I don't have to be the goody two-shoes, but, but, you know, somewhere in there, it's like this thought of, uh, at least I'm not like the bottom of the class. 
it's funny because I, I feel like we tend to all do it. I, I, I met a guy who was, uh, had done some jail time and I was talking to him about it. And he's like, yeah, but he kind of sloughed that off. And he says, yeah, but the guy who ratted me out, that guy's the real jerk. That guy's the real, the real bad one. You know, so we all find ways to compare to others. And, you know, Jesus knew this when he told the following parable. And we read about it in Luke. Luke was a, a guy who talked to the eyewitness followers and said, hey, tell me, this, tell me, tell me what Jesus said. I want to know so that I can give an accurate account. He tells this account, says in Luke 18, Verse nine, Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, to the people who thought they were pretty good. He said, they, they scorned everyone else. They thought they were good and everyone else wasn't. He says, two men, he says, tells them the story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and there was a whole bunch of Pharisees listening. And he says, the other was a despised tax collector. And there was a whole bunch of them listening. And there was a bunch of other people kind of in between listening. And he says, here's what happened. These two men went to the temple and the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer out loud. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I'm not a cheater or a sinner or an adulterer. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there, God. Do you see him? Do you see him? He says, God, do you see what I do? I fast twice a week. I give you a 10th of my income. You know, I, I think I'm a pretty good person compared to him. And then Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even dare to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. And he simply said, God, be merciful to me. I know that I'm a sinner. And what does Jesus say to this crowd of those listening, to the ones who he, he brings the, them into the story? He says, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Those who exalt themselves are humbled. Those who humble themselves are exalted. And he simply says, you know, the ones who have the honest opinion of who they really are, they're the ones who get it. They're the ones who are ripe for understanding truth. You know, we think, oh, we're good people. That's a feeling we all want to have. Nobody wants to feel bad about themselves. Everything we do in life, everything we buy, drive, everything is to make our lives feel better. But there's that truth, that nagging truth, that brutal fact that we don't always want to, um, that we'd like to ignore, but we can't, is the fact that that those who compare themselves with others, it's, it's not wise because we're not, we're not good in, the, in that sense. You know, and then we keep thinking, because that's the thing. If we keep thinking we're the good ones, we end up keeping God at a distance because we think he's not. We keep thinking we're the good ones. We'll keep God at a distance assuming that he's not. You know, it's like uh, my kids the other day, they're playing in the creek and they came back all muddy. One of them was just covered in mud and the other one pretty muddy feet. And I was like, you can't come, you can't come into the house, you know, with your muddy. And, and of course the one with the muddy feet just walks right in. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm not, I'm not muddy. And I'm like, both of you, he's like, because compared to the other one, he wasn't that dirty. But when you say, when you compare the two, I was saying, listen, neither of you is allowed into the house in this condition. And I think that's something that we need to think about sometimes is that, all of us have some dirt. All of us have some mud. All of us have some, uh, some regrets, some letdowns, some mistakes, some oops. We don't want to call it sin, but ultimately it falls under that category of sin. And all of us have that. So when we assume that there's good people, uh, oftentimes our, our, our measuring stick is wrong. And here's the truth. There's a direct connection between sin, the sin that each of us, the personal sin we have, there's a direct connection between that and some of the pain, some of the suffering, some of the illness, and some of the death that we experience in our life. So when we assume the question, God, why are you allowing? There's actually some of it that we're responsible for. 
You know, there's a, every sin has this thing, a gotcha built right in that you get to make the choice, but you don't get to choose what happens afterwards. We don't get to choose the level of consequence. If you think about speeding again, for instance, you know, I, I've been caught speeding a few times. So I'll, be, I'll be honest. You know, when I get caught speeding, I made the choice to speed. That was, that was my choice. It wasn't God didn't push my foot on the pedal too hard or, you know, that the, the policeman sure wasn't the one who was like, well, hey, you were chasing me, so I drove faster. No, it's like, it's my fault. And once I get to that spot and he comes up to the window and knocks on the window, now judgment and justice and everything is all in his hands. And, you know, for some, sometimes if the policeman's having a good day or whatever, I don't know what it is, the reason why, but sometimes, you know, you fall in the spot where like, yeah, I was speeding, I was guilty, and then they let you go. I've also had it where they give you a ticket. And, you know, maybe if the policeman's having a horrible day, who knows what could happen? As we've seen in the news, certain things, you know, the, that can, the, the punishment can way outweigh what we think we deserve. You know, could it be possible is the question this morning that some of the pain and some of the illness and some of the sufferings directly connected to personal sin in our lives? Could it be that some of the hurt and the pain and the bad things we want to assume God has his hand in is actually, it's our hand involved? For instance, you know, you hear people who smoke a pack a day and then say, God, why did you give me lung cancer? Well, that doesn't add up. You know, what about, you know, the people who yell at their wife every day and then they're like, God, why didn't you save my marriage? I even prayed about it. Well, that doesn't add up. You know, or you're on Amazon every day, <laughs> bye, 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 bye. And then it's like, God, how come you didn't send enough money, didn't provide for my needs like you promised? My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, but you didn't do it. Well, that doesn't add up. And I wonder if sometimes we don't, you know, we don't, we don't go down that road because we don't like that answer. That's not good news. That's not good news for any of us, but it's also not the end of the story. You know, Jesus, there's an account that, uh, of Jesus that John, an eyewitness who was right there, he writes about this account. You can find it in John chapter um, eight, I believe it is. Yeah, it's uh, the scene is the temple. Jesus is there early in the morning. The religious leaders, they come back to see him because they're always trying to find a way to trap him. They're not coming to listen to him. Actually, they've come with their own, their own agenda and they've brought with them a woman. They've brought this woman who they caught in the act of adultery. They don't tell us how that happened, but they figured it out. And so they bring her with very little clothes, no alibi and no hope to Jesus and say, listen, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act. You know that the law says she deserves to be stoned, but we want to know what you say. And when they say stoned, they mean put this woman out in front of the crowd. Everyone picks up a rock and they throw it at her till she's dead. And Jesus' answer, his famous answer, we find in John 8, verse 6, it says they were trying, these people were trying to trap into, into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer in verse 7. So he stood up again. He says, all right, all right, all right. You guys want to go down this road? Okay, you want, you want to throw the book at her? You want her to experience all the pain and suffering and everything that she deserves? Let's talk about that for a minute. You know what? Whoever has no sin, if we're going to compare, let's compare. Whoever has no sin, you toss the first stone and then we're all going to get in and join you. Then he kneels down and starts writing in the dirt again. What was Jesus' message? His message was always, hey, mankind is not good. I know our culture and everything wants to try and say, just be better humans. Just, you know, mankind is, is ultimately good. We just do some bad things. That's not true. We are broken, broken, broken. And like we said last week, broken cannot fix broken. We need something different. And Jesus stoops down. He just lets that sink in. 
You know, whoever doesn't, whoever, whoever's got no sin, you throw the first stone. Verse nine, it says this. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. They came all proud and like, we got this. And one by one, they slunk away, hoping nobody would notice, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of a crowd with this woman. All the Pharisees had left. Verse 10, it says, and Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Didn't even one of them say, hey, she deserves this punishment, this pain, this suffering. Verse 11, she says, no, Lord. And here's what Jesus said to her. Neither do I condemn you and go and sin no more. Two, two powerful, powerful thoughts. The only one who could condemn her, the only good one in the crowd, the only one who could have thrown the first stone didn't. Man, that was good news for her, but Jesus was showing something much more powerful. He agreed with the law that the law said that this is what it is, but he also showed that he has the power and the authority to forgive personal sin. We look back in our lives, man. I look back at mine. I got a laundry list of personal sin, choices I made. I knew when I was making them, they were wrong and I still made them. I got I to gotta, I gotta own up to that. I've got to give an account for that. But Jesus says to each of us, I have the authority to forgive all of that. You can't undo it, but I can. You can't undo all the consequences, but uh, especially not the eternal ones, but I can. And then what does Jesus simply say to her? He says, so go and sin no more. Why? Because the truth is that personal sin still has consequences. You know, we may experience the forgiveness of God, but there's still the, the experiences and the consequences here on the planet. Paul wrote to the Romans and says, hey, since we're forgiven, should we keep sinning? No. He says, don't do it. He says, you don't realize that the wages of sin is still death. That woman was just lucky they brought her to Jesus that morning. Had they just decided we're just going to judge her on her own account, they would have stoned her that morning. But they brought her to Jesus and it saved their life. And my hope this morning is that even in this moment, that you've had that same thought, that if you've realized, oh, I've got a lot of these things that I wanted to blame on him, but it's actually on me. And I don't like that feeling. You've been brought to Jesus this morning. And he says the same thing to you. I have the power and the authority to forgive personal sin. I can undo what's been done, where you've got it wrong, I can make it right. And I think if we're honest, you, me, everyone watching at home online in your groups, you know, there's no nudging needed because I think we would all agree with Paul that when he said in Romans 3.23, for everyone is sinned. Everyone's fallen short of God's glorious standard. Could it be possible that some of the pain and suffering in our lives is actually a result of our own personal choices? So when you have that conversation with people, you know, there's a question to ask. Could it be? Could it be that it's us? And right away, our minds want to go to one other place. You know, well, yeah, okay, but what about, what about this lady? I heard about this this week. What about that lady who she didn't, um, she never smoked, she never drank. She's, she just got cancer. She doesn't deserve that. Like that's not part of her personal choices. She doesn't deserve that. You know, or we saw with the, the um, police officer murdering a man. He didn't deserve that. That's just flying around th- those words. You know, or the child, what did they do to deserve abuse? What did they do to deserve to go through a divorce? What did they do to deserve the pain and suffering they're getting? That's not tied to their personal sin. Those are great questions. And actually, we're going to talk about that next week, and you don't want to miss that. But today, as we just wrap up this for the sake of time, when we sit in our spot realizing, yeah, you're right, there's a whole bunch of it that we do deserve because it is ours. At least there's one thing in our life that we would. The good news is that Paul writes the Romans after chapter three, he writes chapter five, and he says this, that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that he came to rescue us, to undo what we had done. 
and that we could put our trust in him, a God who knows there's bad things in the plant, on the planet, who knows there's people stuck in the, in the consequences of that, who's willing to lay down his life. As I was read this week, you know, it says that, for, that, that some might die for someone who they think is especially good, but he died for people who were not good at all. That just shows the goodness of God. We think the goodness is people, but the goodness is ultimately him. And if you want to believe and trust in someone, I think what a great reason to do so. We find ourselves trapped. We find ourselves stuck. We have an answer. If we would just simply reach out to him, reach out and take his hand, answer his call to come follow me, to move out of the kingdom of sin that leads to death and move into the kingdom where his spirit brings life. That is on the table for you this morning. Jesus followers, I'd encourage you to just let that settle in your heart. So the next time you're asked that question, hey, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does God, a good God, allow bad things to happen to good people? That you have a question to ask them. Not an answer to say, hey, I know the answer to that. Because people are never going to be changed by our answers. But when they think, it allows Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. And that's what we believe could even happen this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words that they're, they're alive and powerful. They're not just a, a book or a story, but they, they grab us. They dig down deep inside of us and they reveal things and they change things. Thank you for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us into relationship with you, that as we trust that relationship with you, you've taken care of all of our mess and all of our mistakes and all of that ugliness of sin. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. I pray for people this morning listening, watching. Jesus, if they're feeling that tug to come follow you, that that you give them the courage to take that step, to simply put their trust in you and to walk through this life by trusting you, not just based on what they see. God, thank you that you do what we can't, that you change us from the inside out. And this morning, we believe that new life is happening everywhere as a result of that. God, I pray that you give us opportunities to share your word, your truth, your goodness with the world around us this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.